Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! oh. The, the Horror. Horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts or the new thing, follow. Follow. That's what all the in people are doing, right? <sighs> Whatever. We'll see what they change it to next year. True. You can also <laughs> submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can connect to our social media links and back catalog, current catalog, the full catalog at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Catalogs, 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 all kinds of catalogs. Yep. Well, here we are. Here we are. In step, actually getting back in cycle. With our uh, our podcast, yeah, 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 yeah. Technically, uh, things went pretty well with Waco. Yes, I would have liked to have delivered a little better, but my whole concentration was on it working. Correct. So, yes, yeah. Um, I'm gonna personally confess, not one of my better performances, but <laughs> we uh, we took a break. We did, and uh, we're getting back in stride with uh, two of our uh, favorite musicians and their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite musician stories pretty much revolve around these two. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. There's, I'd say Led Zeppelin, just the whole band in and oh. of itself yeah, has it's like their own lore behind yeah. them. Yeah, them, the Who. Yep. Uh, they were notorious for destroying hotel rooms. Yes. And hotels. Yes, they were. Literally, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah. So, so that's so. great. <laughs> <laughs> So today we have episode 83. Yeah, man. Jimmy Page. Yes. And Ozzy Osbourne. We do. The Ozman. We do. The Ozman cometh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sources. Yeah. What do you got for sources? I have Disgraceland Podcast by Jake Brennan. Mm-hmm. Rollingstone.com. Uh, music lists. Mm-hmm. The 10 wildest Led Zeppelin legends fact checked. Um, rockandrollgarage.com, mm. Jimmy Page and his relation with the occult. Yeah. And Far Out Magazine, man. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, Satanism. No Britannica. No Britannica. Wow. wow. I was waiting for it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. When I, <laughs> when I initially did my search, I just did like Jimmy Page. And dude, the whole first page of of uh, yeah. Google is just, here's my stuff. Here's some more of my stuff. This is also my stuff. Would you like to see <clears> my <throat> stuff? Hey, guys, in case you missed it, here's my stuff. Yeah. And so then I was like, this isn't getting me what I want. So then I, I was like, all right, let's get into Jimmy Page and the occult. And that's when the juicy nuggets started floating up. to the top. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Like, I can't really wrap my head around the idea of being able to Google your name. And Mm -hmm. it's not just, like, your name and other people's names. It's you. Yeah. And all of these people have devoted time to you, Mm -hmm. including us. Yes. I'm not trying to act like I'm above that group. Right, yes. We're we're doing it today. Mm -hmm. But I remember watching a, uh, it was a documentary on Rolling Stones. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and they started the documentary off with asking Mick Jagger, like, you know, do you, uh, do you remember all of it? Mm-hmm. And he literally said, I don't have to, because if I want to know what happened somewhere, it's recorded somewhere. Yes. Like video, True story. audio, mm-hmm. or just by the typed word, right. you know, yeah. or just written word. Yeah. No, the, Again, they're a band much like Led Zeppelin where the lore behind them. Disgraceland. I'm not even getting at the he's lore. He's done at least yeah. five or six episodes on the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. members of the Rolling Stones, yeah. and stories behind the Rolling Stones. And and it just doesn't seem to be ending. Like he's got. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> he's got and, this endless. And I'm not even getting into from. like the lore stuff. Yeah. Just stuff. Mm-hmm. Like dates and yeah. when things happen mm-hmm. and and all that and I just can't even imagine having like being alive. Mm-hmm. It'd be different. Like passed away and there's all this written record because people would do it for preservation and stuff right. like yes. that. But yes. but for him to say it while he's alive, like yeah, no, I I really don't have to remember anything because it's all recorded somewhere. He's and to not think wrong. about it in that regard, yeah. like just how. Like, I think you've made it when it, your life's like that. That's you know what I'm saying? Like they've got a 45-minute firework display at the end of their sets so that they can be an entire town or sometimes even an entire state or country away yeah. by the time their show is ended. Yeah, I couldn't get over that. That's, uh, yeah. I don't know if we brought it up before. But we I'll, did. Yeah, yeah, we brought it up before. It's stuff like that that amazes me because, mm-hmm. like, but yeah, the whole just thing of, yeah, everything's recorded. Like to me, if you're looking for fame and you're looking for all that, to me, that would mean you made it. Definitely. If literally just everything mm-hmm. of your life is recorded, yeah, written down somewhere. And, and, and even better. And with relative accuracy. Even better. Not only are there the accurate stories, but these people have created these legends behind you that... Yeah. may have had like a kernel of truth to them. Oh, yeah. But just with time they've grown and they've gotten so big and and overwhelming and and to think that you know you just started out singing, singing some songs. Yeah, you know there's one story that comes to mind with me every time with that. And it's Rod Stewart. Mm-hmm. Rod Stewart has that uh that story that went around that he had to get his stomach pumped cuz it was full of semen. Or something like that. Did you ever hear that one? Uh, you must have, because it was everywhere. I did. This is before the internet. This is before. All, this was literally it was a the word. the equivalent of Richard Gere and the gerbil. Yeah. The, yeah. So, yep. Similar. But, mm-hmm. but just like that was a word of mouth rumor mm-hmm. that spread like a forest fire. Yeah. And he had people talking about it all over the place. No internet. Nothing no. like that. No. No. No email. No. None of that. It was all spoken word. No cell phones. Yeah. And then I got to laugh because, like, I heard that when I was a kid and I was like, that's just disgusting. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Getting your stomach pumped because there's too much, you know? Yeah. And and it just, uh, and of course, like, you never had the common sense to sit there and be like, well, that can't be true. You know, right, yeah. Because someone heard it from another person and then... Heard it from a friend who yeah, heard it heard from it from, another. It was an REO Speedwagon <laughs> joint, you know. And then, and then of course, what validated is you went somewhere else that you didn't know anybody and they, and they knew like, the story they, too. Yeah. You know. It's gotta yeah. be true. So it's real after yeah. that. 
Yep, yep, yep. But yep. could you imagine being a performer and you've made it? Like yeah. you're you're I remember watching, I don't know if it was at, it might have been at Wembley or something like mm -hmm. that. And he was singing the bands jamming and all that. And um he apparently was a soccer player, football for the folks yes. over the pond. Yes. Uh football player for a long time. And I remember being a kid, my parents were watching on TV and somebody was tossing soccer balls at him from the side of the mm -hmm. stage and he was juggling them like with his knees and stuff and he just kick them out to the crowd. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. Yeah, it you is know? cool. And uh, yeah, and I'm sitting there and I think of that, like, you know, you've made it, you're larger than life. Mm -hmm. And then you have this thing that like, no right. matter how hard you try, you can't get going rid of it. anywhere. You can't like, yep. I don't, it's got to be like the curse of success or something like that. I mean, I mean, maybe, but by the same token, I think I would embrace it and be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's what it is. It's a hard eye party, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not getting your stomach pumped, are you even partying? <laughs> if your orgy isn't that lit. Yeah. And where then, you got to get your stomach pumped. And then you pumped. got somebody who doesn't know this story, and they're like, dude, I got my stomach pumped. I got so wasted. And I'm like, dude, I ain't talking booze. You know? No. 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 No, no. No, no. Ay vey. All right. Sources for me. All right. What We've you got? We've done a straight roll reversal. Britannica. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it so bad. I really do. I want to say it. Hey, uh, Britannica, if you would like to sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Britannica's like, look, we're just trying to stay alive in this whole digital universe. We're just trying to stay alive. I, uh, metalinjection.net. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, uh, a Wikipedia to kind of just get things. Situated. Moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My, uh, my love for Ozzy, mm -hmm. my historical account. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a source. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> There's a couple other general ones, but nothing crazy. I just kind of surfed around. I already knew what I kind of wanted to talk about. Okay. But we'll start with Jimmy Page because holy Let's. my oh my. I think the crazy part with Jimmy Page is your your gateway into Jimmy Page is he's in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And he's a guy who literally changed um, how the guitar was played. He has a very distinct style. Yes. It's a very kind of sloppy blues. Mm hmm uh, style that's very incredible. You, you you first listen to him, you kind of mistake him as oh, he's just a sloppy guy. He's not really that good. And then you hear some songs, and you're like, "Holy oh, cow!" He's doing that on purpose. This guy can rip, you yeah. know. And uh, and the amazing part is, is everyone ripped in that band. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. was amazing in that. It was a yep. kind of Beatles comparable moment mm -hmm. where you just have this amazing frontman who yeah. sings like. You've never heard before. And what's funny is in all the docs, the rock docs, mm -hmm. he's like, I wasn't confident in my voice at all. No, not at all. Yeah. And I remember coming back from Rochester when I had mm -hmm. to go and work out there and I was driving back and I, I think it was satellite radio or something. They had Robert playing on for an interview and they were talking about like, where'd you get that confidence? And he was like, dude, I didn't have any yeah. of it when I started. Yeah. He's like, and the worst part of it was, is uh, like back then, like many people, and I'm, I myself included, like old Sun Records Elvis fan. Mm -hmm. uh, I was so glad to hear 
that, but they play songs that show a inspiration from that. Right. Yes. And, uh, he was talking about how just Elvis sounded so like confident and, and just confident. Yeah. Just, you know, behind his voice and everything. And he said, man, he's like, I don't sound anything like that, you know? And, uh, but I guess it helped him kind of form his confidence and thing, you know, things like that. Then you have, uh, John Paul Jones. Yep. Bass player, like the most underrated musician Mm -hmm. on the planet. Amazing bass player. Mm -hmm. He actually plays everything. Yeah. Which not a whole lot of people know. I Mm -hmm. mean, unless you're way into the, uh, the, the band, but like, sickening sickening good musician and then of course you got john bonham on the drums yeah who was just uh took jazz style drums Mm -hmm. like shuffles and things like that and just put them on like freaking steroids yes he did then you got jimmy page in this mix yeah and it was amazing because you had all of these kind of really precise like robert plant's voice was precise yeah you had uh the bass lines very precise and intricate and flowing you had these just massive drums right. in the back, but again, precise to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And then you got this Lucy Goose, Jimmy <laughs> Page in the middle of it. Yeah. And like he added that little bit of just like sauce mm-hmm. in there to kind of tie it all up together. And it's all stuff that's done on accident, but it's brilliant when it's done together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It. I. They are yeah. one of my favorites. Oh, things. yeah. No, I always say like if they were to come out today... They would explode today just like they exploded then. Yeah. That's all yeah. you'd be hearing. Yep. That's all you'd be hearing. That's all people would want to see. Yep. That's all people would go to. Definitely. I mean, just, uh, it, yeah, just amazing, timeless presence. And then if you're the one who wants to learn more about the members, you get into that and you get into all the drugs and stuff and yeah. you get into the boozing and, you know, John Bonham was definitely, I mean, you oh, know, he was booze. Took all his the life. Way. Took his yep. life. You know, yep. and and uh, you hear the band stories. You know, synonymous of like the Who. They were the the hotel room destroyers and things yep. like that. But then you hear Jimmy Page's stuff, and you're like, and it takes a turn. A turn. It takes a turn. <laughs> it takes a sharp. That's what turn. we're calling it. Yeah. So oh. what kind of turn does it take, babe? So the lore and mysticism surrounding Jimmy Page is legendary. His fascination with the occult would get him dubbed as a Satan worshiper. He was fascinated with Aleister Crowley, going so far as to purchase Bullskin House on Loch Ness when it went up for sale. And frustrated by not being able to find the books he wanted in local bookstores, he opened his own occult bookshop and publishing company because that's what you do. That's what you do when you get money pouring out of your ass. Yeah. let's get into some of the backstories behind Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure if everyone is aware of um, the the dude that married his 13-year-old cousin. Musician. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. His name is escaping me. Yeah. Anywho. I would have take, I would have took a notes if I, if I knew I was going to get a quiz. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. That sounds right. Not to be outdone. Jimmy Page met Lori Maddox, who was part of the L.A. groupie scene beginning in the early 1970s. According to Maddox, 
Jimmy Page became infatuated with her and had a roadie bring Maddox up to his suite at the L.A. Hyatt house. Quote, he was wearing his hat over his eyes and holding a cane, she remembered. He looked just like a gangster. It was magnificent, end quote. The pair went on to have a torrid affair over the next few years. Maddox, amazingly, was just 14 when she met Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. Though Page did what he could to keep the relationship hidden, even in the 70s. You're not hiding that. This kind of thing could get you put in jail. Yeah. There was no TMZ, no Us Weekly. No. And... Page semi got away with it. He eventually dumped Maddox for the of legal age B.B. Buell. But word on the street was that Page asked Maddox's mother for permission to see her daughter, which she happily granted. She was like, yeah, sure. You want to fuck my 14-year-old daughter? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Mom so of that, the year. That was Jerry Lee Lewis. Okay. I thought so. It was his cousin. Yep. Myra Gail Brown. Mm-hmm. Which was his cousin's, uh, like, sister or, or right. ex-wife. Uh, she was 13. Like that. She was 13. He was 23. Yep. Back in 1958. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it did tarnish uh, Lewis's reputation a bit and did some damage to yeah. his career. But Well, apparently. they lasted a long time. It was, like, <laughs> 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, apparently this didn't. Jimmy Page being with this 14-year-old apparently didn't negatively impact him that greatly no. or whatever. Um, yeah. But, hey, to each his own. Well, you also got Jerry Lee Lewis who was playing to, like, the modern, not modern, but the uh, uh, just the everyday crowd mm-hmm. where Jimmy Page was, like, doing this trend setting. Like, you can get away with so much shit as a rock and roller. Yeah. As you can be in, like, a pop star. Well, or I mean, and like this that. isn't the only thing. Like, he had all of this other stuff surrounding oh, him. Oh, you mean that this was, wasn't it? That was no. far more <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So, if I'm being honest. So, there were several rumors throughout uh, Led Zeppelin's heyday that their success was due to Paige's quote unquote deal with the devil. Paige never really addressed the question head on, most likely as the rumor helped add to their fame. There's no evidence that Page was a Satanist, though he believed in Crowley's philosophy of personal liberation. He even had Crowley's dictum, do what thou wilt, inscribed in the runoff groove of the original vinyl release of Led Zeppelin III. Page did do little to deflect the rumors throughout Zeppelin's history, perhaps sensing they were good for business. Quote, I don't really want to go on about my personal beliefs or my involvement in magic, he told Rolling Stone. I'm not interested in turning anybody on to anybody that I'm turned on to. If people want to find things, they find them themselves, end quote. Besides his interest in music, Page is also known for being interested in the occult. Page bought Bolskin House, uh, a place on Loch Ness that was once owned by the English occultist Aleister Crowley, Crowley was born October 12, 1875, died uh, December 1st, 1947. Crowley founded the religion of Thelema, identifying himself as the prophet entrusted with guiding humanity into the Ion of Horus in the early 20th century. Crowley purchased Bolskin House from the Fraser family in 1899. The house at that time was known as the Manor of Bolskin and Abertaf after the name of the local parish. 
Crowley believed the location was ideal to sequester himself to perform a series of operations known as the sacred magic of Abramelin the Mage, taken from a grimoire called the Book of Abramelin. According to Crowley, in his book, The Confessions of Alistair Crowley, in order to perform the operations, quote, the first essential is a house in a more or less secluded situation. There should be a door opening to the north from the room of which you make your oratory. Outside this door, you construct a terrace covered with fine river sand. This ends in a lodge, quote, where the spirits may congregate. The purpose of this ritual is to invoke one's guardian angel. It requires at least six months of preparation, celibacy, and abstinence from alcohol. However, it also includes the summoning of the 12 kings and dukes of hell to bind them and remove their negative influences from the magician's life. While Crowley was in the process of performing the lengthy ritual, he was called to Paris by the leader of the Golden Dawn, and according to legend, he never banished the demons he had summoned, leading to strange happenings occurring in and around Bolskin House. So he was in the middle of the recipe, and he had to bolt. Yep. And the kitchen caught on fire. No, it didn't. Kitchen didn't catch on fire, but weird shit started happening in the kitchen, and everybody's like, what is happening? Why are all these eggs rotting? What is going on? Yeah. So prior to Crowley purchasing Bolskin House, the property itself was already rife with tragedies. Yeah. Once a church, the building burned with the congregation still inside while attending mass, and a man was also beheaded at the property. Page spent little time there as the head of the beheaded man could be heard rolling on the floor. The screams of the congregation along with the sound of the church organ also were pretty common. The slamming doors, stacked personal belongings, and cold spots were more associated with Crowley. Page only frequented Bolskin House on a handful of occasions because it gave him, quote-unquote, bad vibes. And the longest period of time he spent there was when they were uh, filming stuff for The Song Remains the Same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was the whole reason why he bought the property. Yeah. So he said, but I mean, Alistair Crowley being there probably gave him a huge boner. Yeah, it was probably tax write-off exactly <laughs> the chief uh the guitarist chiefly refused to stay there and eventually sold the property in the 1990s after letting one of his childhood friends malcolm dent live there for close to 20 years dent later recalled doors would be slamming all night you'd go into a room and carpets and rugs would be piled up we just used to say that alistair was doing his thing zeppelin's Untitled fourth album is sometimes referred to as Led Zeppelin 4 or Zoso. Mm -hmm. Zoso is a reference to the symbols on the album's cover. The appearance of the four symbols on the cover of the fourth al album have been associated with Page's interest in the occult. The four symbols representing each member of the band. Page himself called Zoso 3. The Zoso itself could have appeared for the first time in the book Ars Magica Artifici of 1557, written by the alchemist uh, Gerolamo Cardano, where it was identified like a sigil that consists of signs of the zodiac. The symbol was also reproduced in the Dictionary of Occultism and Alchemical Symbols by Fred Gettings, published in 1982. During the tours and presentation after the release of the fourth album, Page often had the Zoso symbol embroidered on his clothes, along with the signs of the zodiac. These were visible mainly in his quote-unquote dragon suit 
which included the signs of Capricorn, Scorpio, and Cancer that can become the sun ascendant and moon of the musician. Of course it does. The cover of the Led Zeppelin 4 album is from a painting by William Holman Hunt, an oil painting Jimmy found in the city of Reading, England. The cover was inspired by the letter Homonymous in the tarot deck, The Hermit. Page becomes a character during his fantasy sequence in the film concert, The Song Remains the Same. Mm -hmm. So now we'll go back into more of his whole how he even stumbled across yeah. Alistair Crowley in the first place. So Crowley's belief belief system, Thelema, was based on the Golden Dawn, and this was the originator of 20th century occultism. Despite its devolution in 1903, it would inspire thinkers like Crowley to create work in the spirit of the Golden Dawn's value system. And when Page appeared at the Oxford Union in 2017, a student in attendance asked him about his involvement with this world, and his response was his most eye-opening on the subject to date. Quote, I was very interested in Eastern and Western mysticism, Page stated. I spent time reading and researching when I was younger. I guess that's it. There were some very eminent characters in the Golden Dawn, and I found it very interesting to see the history of those who had been in it in this esoteric movement. The Led Zeppelin guitarist added, also, sort of what went on and off, what went on in the offshoots of it, of that sort of love of all things mystical and magical and all things bright and beautiful, really, he said grinningly. And then they asked him about... Uh, the subliminal message in Stairway to Heaven when you play it back backwards. Page laughed off whether Stairway to Heaven had that infamous subliminal message hidden within it, added, I'm going to go straight back to the Beatles here because there was a time when somebody wrote a thesis about Paul McCartney being dead. If you play back the records, I'm being serious here, even though it's crazy, but if you play back the records, there was something that says Paul is dead. It's a song number nine. Yeah. Off the White Album. Yeah. And I know this because they, my music teacher played it for us in school. Backwards. And, yep. Yep. And then they started to play back a whole manner of records. Of course we were going to be main candidates for it. And somebody says, said, Quote, it says my sweet Satan in it. And I thought, gosh, it's hard enough writing music one way round, Page said to a fit of laughter from the crowd. So in other words, he, it's simply coincidental. Same thing with Paul is dead in number nine. Because as we all know, Paul McCartney is still very much alive. (laughs) He is? I know, right? Wow. I know, I considering know. he died way back. I, was, oh, I know. I, Crazy, I, right? I don't read enough, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't. The whole. I get into that more in my shtick uh, later <laughs> on. But. So, in the Disgraceland podcast, he does a whole thing about um, Jimmy Page and David Bowie mm-hmm. and how David Bowie was as fascinated by Aleister Crowley in the occult as Jimmy Page was. Yeah. So everyone kept saying that Jimmy Page, like he had mastered it or he had figured it out or he had made his deal with the devil or he was. Well, there's a lot of musicians that count the destruction of their career solely solely. on being cursed from Jimmy Page. Yeah. That's not a lie. 
Yeah. That's, yeah. That's people that multiple people, not just some. And then it became like a rumor. Yes. Don't fuck with Jimmy Page because he can destroy you. Yeah. So with his it, magic. <laughs> so in the podcast, there's a um, there's this moment because Bowie was super eager to learn what Page knew of the occult. Yeah. Page and Bowie were together and Jimmy Page, when Bowie kept asking for more details, would just stare at Bowie with a mischievous grin, Mm -hmm. saying nothing. Bowie had already felt that Page had a quote unquote dark energy. And so he asked Page to leave because it was like, it was over several minutes. It was like 10 to 15 minutes of him asking Jimmy Page these questions and Jimmy Page just staring back at him with a smile on his face. And so (laughs) I'm going to do that to people. So Bowie asked him to leave. So Paige suggested Bowie leave through the window and then Paige left. Bowie, for his part, had the area exercised on the off chance that Paige left behind any bad juju. Just in case. Paige's version of the story was that he was communicating telepathically, and the fact that Bowie could not hear him meant he was not worthy to learn more of what Jimmy knew of the occult. I like how it's not worthy. (laughs) I always laugh at this with occult members. Yeah. And I mean, just like pull yourself back about five steps from yourself. Yeah. Take a deep breath Uh and just think about that statement for a second. That person's not worthy. Nope. Maybe. Meanwhile, you've been you've been smiling maniacally at a guy for ten minutes who's been asking you questions, and you're just you're not saying anything, staring at him, and you're just. So let's let's maybe think of the point that you can't communicate with your mind. What? And you're giving yourself a presentation layer that looks extremely psychotic. <laughs> yeah. Let's just invite that thought for a moment. Because yeah. I bumped into uh, a few occult members that are mm-hmm. like, they were on that level. Right. And I'm sitting there smoking weed with them and getting all fucked up. And we're right, talking yeah. about the universe and all that stuff. And. I mean, I'm that inquisitive person where I can get somebody to talk about Mm -hmm. anything that they Mm -hmm. don't want to talk about. Right, yeah. It is a super skill of mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the times I don't do it on purpose because I just don't want to know that type of shit about people. But, like, there's times, like, in that situation where I need to know everything. (laughs) Here's some more weed. Tell me everything. (laughs) Here's some more weed. So how did that make you feel? How You know, I turned total... uh, psychotherapist so to speak uh Mm -hmm. and yeah it it just i remember so many times where the other part of me wants to interrupt but i don't want to interrupt because i want to know more it's it's like this weird cycle you know but i remember talking it was it was three of them together and Mm -hmm. they were part of uh i don't know coven or something like that okay yep and uh it, yeah, they're going on and on about how they started communicating with each other through their mind mm-hmm. and the whole thing of, like, they're not worthy. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing came, came up. And I remember I paused and I was like, wait a second. I'm like, I'm like, so try to do it to me. And and they were just like, well, you got to be open and willing. I'm like, dude, I'm right here. I've been talking to you for, like, two hours. Right. How much I'm, more open and willing think, to, uh, do you need you know, to be? I think, you know. 
So we try it, you know, and it's funny because they're sitting there doing like, you know, just one dude looked like he was almost my pooping. And yeah. And, uh, and I remember like after it was just like, if you really thought, like I, I explained it to him, I said, look, I'm not trying to trash what you're doing. Right. Because here's the thing. They weren't causing trouble. No. And my whole thing with that resides in that. Like if you pursue something spiritually mm-hmm. and it makes you a better person, mm-hmm. I don't really care what you follow. Yeah. I have a, I have a philosophy deep down that I wish you would follow a certain way. Right. But yeah. that's not, I can't force that on you. Correct. That comes to you. Mm-hmm. In or my, it doesn't. No, in my view, it yes. does. Uh, if you open your mind to it, the way I see it comes to you. Mm-hmm. But this, like, I was like, yeah, if I'm not worthy of it, then what is? where does that place me in things? That was where right. I put them in the hot seat. Like, yeah. And I wish people would do this more with occult members mm-hmm. and Christians, too. Yes. Like, you know, so if that, where in your eyes does that put me right. if I'm not? open to it quote unquote or if i'm not worthy to receive uh, yeah it. and the worthy thing drives mm-hmm. me nuts because yeah. it, it is like okay where does that put me in your belief structure mm-hmm. yeah and one answered matter of factly just like well it doesn't mean anything you're just not ready for that and i'm like okay i can kind of see that okay. i was like but i'm like what if what if you guys have kind of committed yourselves to this and and you want to believe it. Mm-hmm. I was like, does anyone else have this experience with you guys in here? No. And it's like, yeah, doesn't that throw a red flag off anywhere? You think everybody's not worthy around you? You know, that's yeah. it. So then that's what bothers me is you have this, okay, everyone's not worthy type thing around you. Then what good is this spiritual path you're on? Yeah, if I it mean, creates at the end of the this day, group of unworthy people around you. Yeah, that's my mm-hmm. problem. That's my number one deal with the occult. I will say, um, in reading the heavy occult members. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna say, like, had you come across a true Wiccan, mm. they're pretty much open to everyone and everything. Uh, and I, I think that's anybody with like, yeah, like true knee deep. Uh, yeah. Um you know, Christian and true mm-hmm. knee yeah. deep. Uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like just Hinduism and, and things right, like that. Right, yes. And I say true new, uh, knee deep, not not cultish following. The, right, yes. But just very grounded in their faith. Yes. Very yes. grounded in their spiritual mm-hmm. identity. I think you could grab them all and they'd all be able to sit in a room and communicate with each mm-hmm. other. and Yes. And... And no one's not worthy. Yeah, no. And that's it doesn't really play into their whole thing. I I mean sometimes you you have to it's not that you have to prove that you're worthy, you just have to prove that you truly are interested because why should you share the secrets of your quote yeah. unquote coven if you've got a half ass person who's only just like, Oh, this is kinda cool, I'll do this for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So in that respect, I get it. You know, you're not going to give them the the keys to the castle right out of the gate. Well, but... I, I don't know because it like if it if it's so great, it'll sell itself. True. That's how I am with ideas mm-hmm. in general. Like the moment someone's pushing a hard sale on me, I'm like, oh god, this is bullshit. I'll be honest. That's yeah. why a solitary practitioner was always more intriguing. 
and attractive to me. Yeah. Because it's literally just you and yeah. the belief system. You and the belief structure. Yeah. And if and if that belief structure And if structure, you do the work? Well, no, yeah. and if if that belief structure does do what it's supposed to do. Mhm. I'm not going to say according to what the masses think it's supposed right, to. Right, yes. What you intend it to supposed Correct, to do. Correct, yes. You know, so say uh, say I invented invented this uh, spiritual uh, path of, you know, and I just call it acorn ship. Mm-hmm. You know, and I say, well, you know, and I create kind of this like 10 little rule thing of being, right. you know, an acornist. And, right. you know, it's, it's simple things. Mm-hmm. Don't steal. Right. Don't murder. Right. Don't, you know, kind of 10 commandment-esque mm-hmm. type deal. And and if somebody grabs that, runs with it, and it's just like, man, I'm way into acornism, mm-hmm. and it's changed my life. I I am friends with people that I normally wouldn't be friends with. Right. I'm able yes. to disagree with people mm-hmm. and and still have a value in the in the person, relationship yes. or the value mm-hmm. in the experience, and I value the 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 person themselves. And you go through these tenets of what a uh, for lack of a better practicing term, practicing acornist does. Yeah, practicing acornist. No, but also this kind of utopian thing that you're going after, mm-hmm. and you approach it as I may not obtain it, but I'm going to just constantly work on it every day. Yes. Like working out in a gym, yep. going on a diet mm-hmm. where you know I might have my cheat days or my days where I I go off the wagon. You but know, you but gotta do the work. But I go right back to center yep. on what my my believies are, mm-hmm. and. I don't have a problem with that person. No. I don't have a problem yep. with their pursuit. I don't care. Hey, hey if it's acornism, go for acornism. Mm-hmm. If that's what does it for you. Yeah. If it, you know, gets you on that spiritual path of right. enlightenment, so mm-hmm. to speak. But it's the, yeah, the group and the, you know, oh, you're not ready for it thing and this and that. It's yeah. like, eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. See, now I'm reeling back and I'm thinking you got problems. Yeah, and, and your also little to, acornism thing isn't working. Like if there's just the three of them and they can only achieve this quote unquote by themselves situation yeah, by, by themselves or in this group. Uh, how confident are you that this situation is even occurring, or that you've just convinced yourselves oh, yeah, that this yeah. situation? Because there's occurring. a ton of psychological evidence. Yes, that is a hundred percent that backs up that. that you probably didn't truly experience what you think you experienced, yeah. but you've convinced yourself that you did. Yeah. No, and that, that happens a lot with people that create fictional accounts of their past mm-hmm. and they've made it real. Yes. And not only have they made it real, they made it so real that they've shaped and formed themselves as that, as a person Correct. today. Around that tale. And they're sitting on mm-hmm. this house of cards, yep. basically. Mm-hmm. And... And that's usually when people break to a certain degree because they, you know, you're basically standing on a stack of lies. Yeah. Which are just basically like toothpicks. Right. Yes. But yeah, no, that's, I, I hear that story and I think of that, those three people yeah. where I look and it's like, oh man, poor David Bowie. Yes. Yeah, he was all like, by himself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was probably. With this uh, dude just staring at yeah. you with this weird like, grin on his face. Yeah. And it was probably during the, like the Ziggy Stardust uh, earlier it was. days. Yeah. 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 Where, where let's be honest. I mean, Bowie was, uh, you know. So they're all, they're both doing drugs, whatever they can get their hands on. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're trying to have this conversation or at least yeah. try 
always trying to have this deep, meaningful conversation. Yeah. And the person who's supposed to be participating is just Look, staring back at him blankly. Look, looking like he's pooping. Yeah, but with like yeah. this weird grin on his face. Yeah, that's doing, not... Doing the Jedi mind trick. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm popping your head. <laughs> so, look, let's get on to more of uh, yeah, Jimmy Page. It. So, according to Shady O'Lady, she has her own link. Yeah. I did not go there. No. Jimmy Page opened an occult bookshop and publisher, publishing company called the Equinox Booksellers and Publishers. Quote, the shop was never designed to make money, but just to tick over... So that it could publish books. Yeah. Page wrote in an autobiography, there was not one bookshop in London with a good collection of occult books, and I was so pissed off not being able to get the books I wanted. First two books from the publishing company side of the business were the book of Goisha, translated Mm -hmm. by Aleister Crowley, and Astrology, a Cosmic Science by Isabel Hickey. By 1979, the shop lease expired, and Jimmy admitted it, Obviously, wasn't going to run away um, and, you know, make him millions. Yeah. The way, and he couldn't be there to run it the way it should without some drastic business changes, and he didn't really want to agree to all of that. So I basically wanted the shop to be a nucleus. That's all. He yeah, I said. respect that. Yeah. So, I mean, he got what he wanted out of it. Yeah. Well, he's swimming in all that Led Zeppelin money. Yeah. Which they were making a lot of money. Yeah. So do you know, um, I don't know if I ever told you. So back then, like when musical acts would do gigs in like theaters or Mm -hmm. they were packing stadiums and things like that. They didn't really make that much money then. No. They didn't make much. They got fleeced pretty hard all the way around the whole system. So the label would fleece them. People who wrote the music would fleece them. So I heard. So quick, quick and I'll I'll pop it out. They became such a mega deal because their manager was this, like, just, like, grizzly, just bull. And everybody was scared fucking shitless of him because he would just fucking beat up people and shit. Mm -hmm. And he worked it out to where they would get, like, 75% of the take on, like, stadium gigs. No one was ever doing anything like that. That's where Led Zeppelin, again, was big and different. Than other musicians because right. they started making this ability to make mm-hmm. money possible like that. So I was listening to Disgraceland and they were talking about the Beatles yeah. and how during the height of their tour where they had come t- to the States yeah, and they were like... on their way back to the UK, upon entering the UK, they had to pay 90% in taxes. Yeah. Then, after they paid their 90% of their taxes, the label had to take their cut, mm-hmm. and then um, it got broken down further to the manager got their percentage, oh, yeah. and John and Paul got more yeah. for the songwriting yeah. royalties. Yep. So, essentially, these guys who made millions in the U.S., we're lucky if they were if they took home three grand a piece. Yeah, generated millions and oh yeah, yeah no, it was terrible. Yeah, industry. it was ridiculous. I terrible. was listening to that and yeah. I'm going, holy shit, ninety percent. Yeah, what the that's, hell? That's why I was losing my fucking top at the house 
when like Taylor Swift and all of them were complaining about how they're getting ripped off. Yeah. It's like, look, I'm sure you're getting ripped off and maybe in your own eyes you're getting ripped right, off yes. or maybe you are getting ripped off. Yeah. But in comparison to the people that trounced their way to get you where you are, like the, the back yes. you crawled on, I mean, they got destroyed and yes. it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't just like the little acts and the one hit wonders and all that. No, it's like the, the Beatles, four tops, you know, the, the Beatles, Beatles like, like these all these mega, these yeah, mega bands yeah, massive. and a lot of them, like the members of the four tops, a lot of them were on the verge of bankruptcy oh, yeah. because they, I mean, they had number one record after number one record and they got nothing. Yeah. Not a thing. I don't want to bring his name up because you and I both know him and I don't want to create a, a situation or anything like that. But like one of our other friends mm -hmm. is a huge fan of um, uh, Dion Warwick. Oh, yes. So huge, oh, huge yeah, fan. She got of, fleeced pretty good too. Huge fan of Dion Warwick. And he still can't accept this story. Even though I have it on great account mm -hmm. of where this story came from. But I was telling him, I'm like, because he goes to watch her yep. on, on these shows. I'm like, yeah, dude, she's torn because she's broke. Yeah. He's, oh, I don't believe that. I'm like, no, dude, trust me. Yeah. She's broke. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, oh, how do you know that? And I tell him the whole story of who we both know. Yes. Um, And knew someone very close to the family. And like, yeah, no, she spent. They spent all the money on like the family yeah. and, and not just the family, but the industry just fleeced the living yep. crap out of her. Yep. You know, so now she's literally touring just to keep money because that's in, all yeah. they know how to do. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's yep. crazy. A household name like Dionne Warwick. Yeah. You know, just and, and she's not the only one. It's all. Why do you think they're all freaking touring right now? Because the first time ever. They can go into a stadium, charge $300 a seat minimum, mm -hmm. and get most of it. Yeah. They never had this never. ability yeah. before. No. Uh, that's how Paul McCartney lost the his royalties or mm -hmm. the ownership of their the Beatles catalog. Yeah. And he went to Yoko Ono <laughs> to see if she would go in on it yeah. with him so that they could get... The, the the catalog back yeah. and she told him to go pound salt yeah. so he went to Michael Jackson yeah. asking if Michael Jackson would go in on it no and, and he bought it and Michael turned around and outbid Paul yeah he bought and the, took the whole catalog and he owned the whole catalog yeah yeah it's just like geez. no it's crazy it's crazy yeah and that's right here people are like you know and I say it all the time it's like God why are they touring but then I sit back and remind myself it's like yeah no this is their yeah this is their last chance to get. Yeah. A, a big score. It's a fire sale. Yeah. You know, well, no, it's basically robbing a bank. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if the fans were smart enough to know that, you uh -huh. know, that's really what it is. It's one last heist. It's <laughs> really what it is. These tours. It's one last yeah. heist. Got to get it in. To get 300 bucks off you to watch yeah. somebody who's not anywhere near their prime. No. Of doing these no. songs. It's you just, know. that was eye opening for me. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I knew about Motown. Yeah. I, I knew about their fleecing. Yeah, yeah. And about how, like, it was they literally made nothing. It, it, and then and then you realize, oh, yeah, no, it wasn't just them. Yeah. It was literally everyone out it there. It was all of them. Yeah. You know, and that's where actually, like, 
the gigging studio musicians were the smartest ones yes. out of all of it. Yep. Because they were just hired guns. Yep. And they'd go in, they'd do their job, they get paid, and they get out of there. They were awesome. Yeah. What was that doc about them? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, it was a hired gun or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. That was good. No, and was uh, good. and the backup singers. Yeah. There. Yeah, I can't remember that one either. I think that was like 20 inches from stardom or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something Some, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they those were really were, good. Yeah. Those were eye-opening yeah. and incredible. No, it's weird business. <sighs> Shady-ass business. That's all I got That's all for you got? Mr. Jimmy Page. Okay. And we talked about a ton of other people. <laughs> we talked about all the things. Yeah. No, I'm quick with Ozzy here because Ozzy is the exact opposite of Jimmy Page. And this is what I loved about doing these two. Because mm -hmm. Jimmy Page was into it. Yes. Like, he... He full on was into he it. He was into it. He yeah. bought into it and, you know. Hook, line, and singer. Bought Ozzie, his own bookstore yeah. and publishing company. Yeah. Into it. <laughs> Ozzy was a show. Yes. It was all presentation. Yes. And he's fucking crazy. I mean. I mean, that helps. That <laughs> helps with the presentation. It really helps. It does present well. But Ozzy, uh, I'll just start off quick. He, um. Grew up in Aston, uh, area of uh, Birmingham. Uh, his mother was a non-observant Catholic who worked days at a factory. Mm -hmm. And his father uh, was, uh, he worked night shifts as a toolmaker at a General Electric mm -hmm. company. When Osborne had three older sisters, he had two younger brothers. And they lived in a small two-bedroom home in uh, Aston. And uh, Ob he had the nickname Ozzy since... Yeah, elementary it's, school it's forever. for his last name. Yeah. That's where they got it. Yeah. It's like it doesn't have anything to do with his first name. But but he um but basically he dealt with uh dyslexia at school. Mm -hmm. Uh at eleven he got uh like a lot of uh, uh, he suffered a lot of abuse from school bullies and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh he claimed to have attempted suicide multiple times as a teenager. Sad story, really. Yeah. And uh, he left school at 15 and was employed as a construction site laborer, a trainee plumber, an apprentice tool maker, car factory horn tuner. Yep. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I just wanted yeah. on the resume. <laughs> car factory horn tuner. Yep. And uh, when he was young, he... Got into crime, which you would suspect after reading, you know, yeah. telling you all that. You know, he spent six weeks in a prison uh, when, and it was basically he was just unable to pay a fine after being convicted of uh, burgling like a clothes shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, his dad, to teach a lesson, lesson, refused to pay the fine. Yep, had him do the time. Yep. So he was always into the stage. He uh, took part in school plays, and uh, he has this just crazy brummy accent that yeah. is just like awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, um, he heard uh, the Beatles, uh, She Loves You, uh, back in 1963. And he basically says that he credits that as inspiring to become a musician. Yep. Typical story of mm -hmm. people around the Beatles. They inspired... Yep. Pretty much like, you know how Genghis Khan is like, like everybody, like 90% of the people are descendants of Genghis Correct, Khan. Correct, yes. 90% of the people that play music 
are Do inspired so by one shape or form to the Beatles. The Beatles yes. it, it literally holds true. And uh, he just said, I'm going to be a rock and roll star. Mm-hmm. That was it. And um, and then from there was when he started going through. He got in with a, a series of bands. Black Sabbath was the, yep. the big band that got through. And they were together for a stint, mm-hmm. created some amazing albums. They and did. Just uh, another person who just has this amazing frontman presence. He does. That just is unmistakable. You close your eyes, you hear it, you just know who it is. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to see him. Yep. And uh, I know just from seeing concerts with him, the energy level is insane. It's mm-hmm. it's unreal. It's hard to even convey to anyone that hasn't experienced it. And then he performed a solo act and everybody was, eh, you know, how's this going to go? Yeah. Because uh, Black Sabbath was such a formidable force at that time. It's funny. His manager was Sharon Osborne's father. Yeah. And Sharon opted to take on Ozzy. So yeah. when they kicked him out of Black Sabbath and well, she's the like, fathers, all right. Let's- no, but, but the father said to Sharon, yeah. take care of him. Yep. So she was a mar- uh, she was or he was originally married to Thelma Riley. Uh that was in 1971 and they divorced in 82. And he married Sharon yep. in 1982. But yeah, Sharon's sole existence was to basically make sure nothing happens to Ozzy mm-hmm. after he the whole Black Sabbath thing collapsed. Yep. And um and and basically even Ozzy said like, "Yeah, I thought it was pretty over." Um, he got like 96,000 pounds for his share of the name mm-hmm. and he just like locked himself up into Coke and booze. Yeah. Thinking like, this is my last party. Yep. This is it. Because after this, I'm going back home and yep. being a loser, mm-hmm. you know, being on the dole for the rest of my life. And, uh, and so that's when he started getting into, um, these relationships, which ultimately got him to produce the Blizzard of Oz album, mm-hmm. his first solo album. And um, that was with uh, basically uh, drummer Lee uh, Kerslake of uh, a group called Uriah D- uh, Heap, uh, bassist Bob Daisley, which was from Rainbow, keyboardist Don Airy from Rainbow, later Deep mm-hmm. Purple, and Randy Rhodes from at that time was quiet riot yes and uh yeah the blizzard of oz came out everybody's like holy shit yep and um he it loved was randy like a brother just incredible and the relationship he had with randy rhodes they were literally inseparable yep they were always together mm-hmm. you hear stories uh sharon osborne talking like he was always at the house mm-hmm. they're always you know hanging around yep. they were just inseparable they were just like twin brothers and uh, and Brandy Rhodes, amazing guitarist, yes. absolutely incredible guitarist. And so you've got Ozzy's presence, you've got uh, Randy Rhodes. So then they come up with um, Diary of a Madman. That mm-hmm. was the album that turned me on to Ozzy at first. And then I realized there was all this Black Sabbath stuff, and mm-hmm. and that was the cool part of growing up as a metalhead, like. I look back at it now like what a way to grow up. I grew yeah. up with all this amazing music and I always joke with you it's like I can't wait until I'm in like my late 70s early 80s and I just got 
like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Megadeth, yep. you know, like all of just these. Pantera. Yeah, mm-hmm. just blazing Pantera. Um, you know, I can't wait to just have that later in my life and, and still be uh, young in That's that That's going to be you in the nursing home. Yeah. <laughs> so... So then uh, they do the Diary of a Madman tour. This is 1982. Everything's just going amazing. Uh, everything's just, you know, they were a week away from playing Madison, uh, you know, MSG in, yep. in uh, New York. And uh, light aircraft uh, piloted by the band's tour bus driver carrying uh, Rhodes and uh, Rachel Youngblood, yep. who was the band's costume and makeup designer. They're doing these low passes over the tour bus, yep. you know, and the left wing clipped the bus and uh, the plane hit it, like grazed a tree and crashed into a, a garage of a nearby uh, mansion, mm-hmm. killing Rhodes, Acock and the pilot. Yep. And uh, just completely destroyed Ozzy. It did. Completely destroyed him. And even like, it's amazing. I don't know what it was part of, but it was... Uh, his son found a uh, like a, a, a raw track of Crazy Train, and uh, they could isolate it out like it was all tracked out. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there. It's on YouTube, and it's it's just profound in the sense that they were sitting there playing this, and like he didn't hear this at all. Like he never even knew it existed. His son found it. Yeah, and they're in the studio. They're they're listening to it. And he's just sitting there and he's like, oh my God. He's like, yeah, we played this. It was in the back of a moving truck. They recorded the song and uh, they're just going away. And then Randy Rhodes hits the solo and they isolate it. And you could just see him like teleport, like right back to like, I fucking miss this guy. And like, that's what he was just like, he was phenomenal. And he, and then he just like, you could see it's just, even after all this time, just too much. Yep. You know, and it's amazing. All of these, uh, these stories that come of Ozzy and you look at all these things he went through mm-hmm. and that's where he was a big deal to me. Cause man, that son of a bitch figured it out. Yeah. Somehow, you know, Well, he, he was, uh, they gave him like a month to just like binge. He was drinking. Yeah. yeah. He was, but he, he ended taking, up doing it forever. Taking drugs and Sharon went into his hotel room and was like, "Okay, you've had your time. You've had your time to grieve. Yeah, it's time to it's time to get up." But he always had trouble with yeah substance abuse and yeah. and just all of this stuff that life taught at him. Mm-hmm. And there's this saying I don't know who coined it or whatever, but I've just heard it a ton of times. And it's how you handle disappointment shapes what type of person you're going to be. Yes. It's not about what you have and what you get. It's not even about how far down you fall. Mm -hmm. It is just how you handle disappointment. Yes. And that is going to shape you on the type of person you're going to be. And like someone like Ozzy to me fits that statement so well. Yeah. Um, And there's the stories of him are insane. Yes. Um, His first wife, Thelma, uh, basically... They had these uh, these chickens that she purchased, and uh, one day, Ozzy snaps and uh, opens fire on the whole entire like all the chickens, the whole flock, yeah, yeah, 
and douse the carnage in gasoline and set it on fire and shooting bullets just left and right. Yep. And uh, Ozzy's neighbor, this older guy, um, or there was a lone chicken like going through and he chased it with a sword. <laughs> Ozzy's neighbor comes out with a garden hoe and she's just like, you know, ah, Mr. Osborne, unwinding, are we? You know, I mean, just like this <laughs> yeah. is, you know, like the the guy they're they're dealing with. There's the whole story of the bat. Yes. Which um, basically how it was supposed to be was somebody was going to throw a fake bat on mm-hmm. the stage. He was going to pick it up. Yep. And bite the head off. Yes. Well, somebody threw a live bat, a, a live bat or dead bat or something to that yeah. extent. And he bit that. It was a real bat, yeah, not like a, a fake real, one. Yeah. real bat. It's, and it's funny because there's a there's the story of him biting the head off a dove, and he did that in a meeting because he was just he was fed up with the guys in the suits, the yeah. stiffs, yeah. telling him a a rock star how he should perform his art yeah. or his music. So he. He was supposed to just let the dove go. Oh, and yeah. it was supposed to be like this, I don't know, magical type thing. And yeah. instead, he bit the head off the dove. Mm-hmm. So he intentionally did that one. And then there's the story where where the bat gets thrown on the stage. And he knew as soon as he bit the head that, mm-hmm. oh, shit, this is, yeah. this is real. And he's like, well, I know what this is. I know where this is going. Yeah. So he he was just like, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> Here we well, are. And the one he did uh, with like the meeting with the execs yeah. and all that, he bit it and he said something like, now that's entertainment or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's just like totally just wild cock nuts. Yes. Um, he actually had a personal dwarf for a long time. I don't know if you know this story. No. Yeah. Yeah. How does one go about getting a personal dwarf? I think they're little people now. I don't I don't know. I think that's what we're supposed to call them. <laughs> How did he get his little person? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it worked out, but uh, I believe his name was uh, John Allen Edward. And while John would sleep, Ozzy would place him on the top bunk of his tour bus so that, like, he would fucking fall and go splat on the fucking ground. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, he, he would, uh, hang, hang by a noose on shows for dramatic effect. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was an actor and he stood at three foot, 10 inches. He toured with Ozzy during the diary of the madman and speak of the devil. Two, two albums. Oh yeah. Uh, Alan is also immortalized inside the gate uh, fold of the Speak of the Devil album. Ozzy nicknamed Alan Ronnie after Ronnie James Dio. Uh, seeking retaliation for Alan's drunkenness, a roadie once threw Alan in a luggage compartment of the tour bus. Years later, Alan tragically committed suicide by overdose at 49 in 1999. Too bad. But, uh, yeah, there was just um, the... I guess they say he had a, a fascination or they claim with little people also manifested itself in fairies wear boots by black Sabbath. Okay. That was written by Ozzy and there's different stories regarding how the song came out, 
but they claim the correct version appears to be that Ozzy hallucinated the experience of fairies wear boots. So that okay. whole song was like a, uh, uh, just a, a fantasy, a, uh, a hallucinated uh, yeah. experience. And uh, Ozzy was supposed to play the Green Fairy in Moulin Rouge 2001. Okay. It's a little factoids people don't know about with Nicole Kidman yes. and Ewan McGregor. And in the end, uh, not even Ozzy's music made the cut. They were just like, you know, yeah, yeah. we're just nope. kidding. So the Green Fairy played by, what was it, Kylie, Min- Kylie Minogue, I think my writing, my, you've seen it, so. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, kind of hard to remember now. Yeah. Like. I remember. I remember just about everyone but the Green Fairy. If I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there was a time uh, he visited uh, Russia on tour, and uh, he was the greatest attraction on this tour. And Sebastian Bach was recalling a, a story how Ozzy was received by Russian bikers. They gathered outside of their hotel early in the morning to meet him. And he said, every Hell's Angel contingent in the USSR had ridden their Harleys from the farthest reaches of the Soviet Republic. Oh, my Lord. And gathered at this hotel. Yeah. Ozzy says he had no choice but to come down and greet him, which made the most of these, like, just these badass Russian bikers cry like little girls seeing the Beatles. Yeah, and they said to this deal, it was a huge, or to that day, it was a huge deal when Ozzy visits uh, Russia and all that. Um, oh, what was it? Uh, what was the next one I had? So there was a, a black cloak Satanist that tried to kill Ozzy. Okay. And uh, the, um, oh, what was it? Ozzy wasn't really a fan of organized religion, period. Mm-hmm. And even um, even if he did, they were basically talking about, uh, you know, I, I they say he would do some form of uh, prayer mm-hmm. before. So I think that probably goes from his roots yeah. uh, growing up. But the, like, sa- Satanism stuff, it was a show. Yeah. So people got to get, like, even Motley Crue and all that, they had the Shout at the Devil album yes. and all that stuff. It was just a show. It was mm-hmm. an image. It sold. Yeah. It worked. And also, and, too, it's the time of the satanic panic. So if you were other or if you were controversial, that was almost like yeah. free uh, PR for them. And, and, and the problem was with these bands, like Black Sabbath used to talk about it all the time. The Satanists were a, a thorn in their side. I'm sure. And during one concert in Memphis, a roadie knocked out a Satanist who took the stage. Is dressing a black hood, holding yep. a dagger in his hand, and um, just basically, uh, you know, the, yeah, they had to take him out. And then one day, uh, they were, they like uh, returned to the hotel mm-hmm. or the motel where they were staying. There was just more and more of them, and the band decided to just take initiative against a crowd of Satanists who were waiting outside of the rooms. They synchronized their watches, jumped out in unison, and sang "Happy Birthday" and blew out Satanist candles. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy it just like crazy crazy stuff good lord the whole mr crowley song mm-hmm. kind of in closing with all this is uh he just like like he read about him yeah and wrote it, a song it was like there was a book or something 
in yeah. um, a dressing room somewhere. There and was he was literally like, okay. There was literally a book and tarot cards. Yep, that's what it was. Yep, and and just shows how like amazing of a songwriter he is. Yes, he writes that whole song just based off of of that. Right. There wasn't this whole drawn out commitment to it and all that exactly. other stuff that people want to read into it. So for all of you people <laughs> who are saying the correct pronunciation is Alistair Crowley, uh, we and Ozzy beg to disagree. <laughs> Just yeah. saying. Just saying. Yeah. I just... It's Mr. Crowley, not Mr. Crowley. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, we probably could play it. We we're a, we're a little mom and pop podcast. Yeah, maybe we don't have to worry about paying royalties. But the big stuff, uh, the big stuff that he got into that was unfortunate is there were some people that committed suicide, and they said they did it because of his music. He had the song "Suicide Solution" mm-hmm. that he wrote, and that was two instances where kids claimed, you know, either they said it to their parents or they wrote it, or who knows, you know, no one knows the real story right, of these yeah. things. But he had two court cases that were big, and that was the, unfortunately, the big part of the news he was in of his career mm-hmm. back in the day, and that was during the whole, you know, playing records backwards and and all that yeah. type of stuff. Well, and, I mean, at least he got called out for something that he actually wrote, uh, and Jimmy Page's story, his court cases were all incidences where the claim was Led Zeppelin stole their their song or their lyrics or, you know, their their tune, their melody. Yeah, I you know, the tough part is is as big a Led Zeppelin fan as I am, they did pretty much rob and pillage all of the old blues greats. Oh yes. Uh People can say whatever they want, but it's just facts are facts. Yeah. They, and they openly admitted it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's what I'm saying. Like later on, they openly did. But as you discover the band. Yes. You know, it's all oh, these guys are great. And then you realize that they pretty much pillaged out every blues great. You know, it would have been nice if they paid homage or if they at yeah. least referenced the blues great that they stole the music yeah. from. Because yeah. then at least that blues artist could have gotten another whole yeah. audience, if you will. But there was, uh, yeah, I think it was in 83, 84 through there. Uh, there was one guy, I think in Canada, that killed uh, a woman and her two sons. And he, you know, after listening to Bark at the Moon. And uh, okay. a, f- a friend of the murderer quoted... Uh, he said that every time he listened to that song, he felt strange inside. Uh, he said when he heard it, I think it was on New Year's Eve, well, um, and stabbed someone. Now, the the person, the teenager who committed suicide, uh, it was a teenager from California. I don't like listing names of stuff like that. But, no. Um, and he was listening to Suicide Solution, and the song deals with dangers of alcohol misuse, and uh, the suicide led to allegations that, Osborne promoted suicide in his songs, and despite knowing that this person had clinical depression, his parents sued Osborne yeah. uh, for the son's death, saying that the lyrics in the so- song, Where to Hide, Suicide's the Only Way Out, Don't You Know What It's Really About, uh, convinced their son to commit suicide. And, 
Yeah, the family's lawyer suggested that Osborne be criminally charged for encouraging a young person to commit suicide because, of course, that's what he thought of when he wrote the song. Um, courts ruled in Osborne's favor. Um, yes. And they did that with every instance. In 1991, it was the same thing for another person. They were trying to get $9 million, and the courts ruled in their favor. Uh, there was a number of other other bits that were around royalties and things like that. But, but basically that's where it's kind of funny with that. Cause I always, I always had a weird stance with like video games and music and movies and things like that, that project a certain idea mm-hmm. and people will be quick to cut and say, well, you know, that's bullshit. It's just entertainment. Shouldn't be taken seriously. And I think for most people, yeah, that is true. But you also have other people that are broken, but that's yes. not the artist's fault. No, it's not. That's not the and video game's fault. It's my not. My point was that regardless of who sang a song or what song they heard, these people were going to act in a certain way regardless. You'd like to think so, but I just don't know about it sometimes. Sometimes, like, I'll, I'll be honest, as of lately, and I, I'm indifferent to whatever side of it it is, but it's just, you know how my brain works. It, mm-hmm. It's different. Mm-hmm. And I look at, like, LGBTQ representation in movies. Mm-hmm. Look at how happy everyone from that community is that they're represented in movies. Mm-hmm. But if movies don't really mean anything and they don't matter about your existence and where you go through and how you carry out things. Well, why would it matter if you're represented in movies? I'm just playing a, a devil's Devil's advocate advocate. on on the statement, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of like a video game with like a first person shooter. If you know, it's not real, then there's a big deal. Right. What's the, what's the big deal if they're shooting, say a person that looks real or, you know, a person that looks like SpongeBob. Right. If it doesn't matter, who cares? And it's the same thing with the songs. Like, you know, if a song, you, you hear so many people that are just uh, like, I I guess what I'm getting at is, is that you, you know this from me, and I'm just kind of publicly saying it at this point for others that don't know. The double standards thing rubs me wrong. Yes. I hate double standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, just try to be consistent a little bit. So like with songs like this, it just, if you sit there and say, well, yeah, no, that song got me through my childhood. That song got me through that bad relationship. I watched that movie over and over again in that breakup, and it just got me through it. It's like the, maybe there is something more to these artistic presentations of things. You know, you can't say in one hand that this song changed my life. Right. But then you can't say in the other hand that this song's not responsible for somebody doing something. Mm-hmm. Can't have it both ways. Yeah. Now, uh, there's no answer here. Yeah. I'm just no, getting at, I, like... I understand what you're saying. I think people need to be a little understanding of the fact that, like, life's just shitty sometimes. Yes. And life sucks. Yes. Life throws you these things. And it gets back to that statement I was saying before where, you know, it, it's not how you handle disappointment. It's it's how it shapes you. Right. Yes. You know, you can either let disappointment totally fuck your life up. Mm-hmm. Or you can have disappointment come through and be like, man, God, that really disappointed me. But you know what? I need to start thinking about X. Right. Yeah. And, and and know that this could 
manifest in me and be a bad thing and just have the humility that Mm -hmm. something can destroy you. Yes. That it's out there, but you can't tell people what to do. You can't tell people what to think. You can't tell them what to write or make. But really? Because there's a whole lot of people doing that no, exact thing. No, and I think that's the reason why. It's like you can't sit there and say, well, this thing, it shouldn't make someone do this, but it's okay if it makes somebody do this. Like You can't yeah. have it both ways. Yeah. And like the kid commu- uh, committing suicide, I bet, yeah, he was listening to the song, and the song might have gave him the nudge. Maybe. But the fact is, is he let a song nudge him. Yeah, he was already there. He was already there. Like, but what and if I'm saying, it wasn't that song. It could have been another one. Something or, else, was, or something else that he read, or yeah. something he saw on TV. Like when someone is in that mindset, yeah, there's no, there's, how do I explain this? No, it's just something's gonna nudge him. Exactly. That's it. And that day could be something, could be nothing. And but, that day, it was that song. Mm-hmm. If he didn't listen to that song, it would have been something else because right, he was yes. looking for it. Yes. He was seeking it out. He was seeking validation. For what he was to going to do. do something. Mm-hmm. And I say that from experience of being a very depressed yeah. person. It's just you seek that validation to feel sad, that validation to feel because the other direction is so intimidating of I got to do all this work to, you know, you're in a hole. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of knowing that you've got to crawl out of that hole on your own, mm-hmm. you'd rather seek the validation of something to keep you in there. It's a weird thing that you do in your biology, mm-hmm. especially people that are, you know, had a, a unfortunate background. And this gets back to why I adore Ozzy so much. It's like he's persevered through all of this and was raised on a very basic family background. Yeah. Not a whole lot of privileges. Not a whole lot of anything like that. He recently and had a surgery. Do we know how he? I don't made know out? how that turned out, but it can't be too bad because you would have heard about it. You know, true. Um, but but the fact is, is like I remember, I had a chance to see him at an Ozfest, and we went through, and oh man, it was incredible. I, I'm pretty sure it was like, I know Pantera was there, and that's when I the first time I saw Pantera. And every time I bring that up, like the hairs on my arms stand up, like it was the most incredible energy. And just like me being mm-hmm. a drummer and seeing Vinnie Paul play drums was like insane. And we were third, fourth row. We got tickets from a friend that had like season tickets and they had no interest in going to Ozfest because they were like yeah. the arts and, you mm-hmm. know, like classical music and ballet and stuff. And I went with a, a buddy of mine and we, uh, his name was Eric and we were literally sitting there and he comes walking out like this old guy just shuffling and then the freaking music would go pyrotechnics off and this dude lights up yeah and just jams straight for however long it was but just and like he would talk you had no idea what the hell he was saying but then he'd sing and he all the words are perfect yep like it was just amazing absolutely amazing and uh, it was one of the greatest experiences I had watching a show. Uh, it's 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 unbelievable. And uh, yeah, if Ozzy's Ozzy, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> I do, and I hope things are going well for you. But thank you f- for getting me through hard times that were tough for me because I leaned on that music hard. I had a lot of rage stuff 
and that was an outlet that just, I know that's why metal worked for me because mm-hmm. it just would get me there without yep. destroying everything around me. Right. There is a purpose for it. I think if heavy metal wasn't here, it'd be pretty barbaric. <laughs> <laughs> so that closes me out Yep. for Ozzy. One quick thing I wanted to address with you. Uh, I saved it for this bit of jamming with Aleister Crowley. On the side here and there, because I have all those Aleister Crowley books. Mm-hmm. I've been reading those. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to revisit him next year. Okay. Uh, holy, holy, holy. Those books are, those books are incredible. I got to figure it out. We got to talk about it and figure out how we're going to dovetail that in either just on another Aleister Crowley episode or maybe just do it by the books. There's a ton of them though. Yeah. And I've been reading through, I'm about halfway through them and they're just, uh, God, it's weird dude. Uh, yeah. Really weird. Yeah. But so this is our third installment of, the heavy metal music month of July. Well, just music month. Yeah. And we have our last installment next we week. We have Robert Johnson. Yes. That I've been lovingly been calling Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe? Bobby Joe. Yes. The blues legend. Yeah. The What a story. The birth of the blues. Guys, it, if you don't know who this is, you... I rarely, well, no, that's not true. We recommend episodes all the time. Yeah. But I really think this one is worth your time because there's going to be a whole lot of, what? Yeah. The actual fuck? Yeah. And, and considering when it took place. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. it's yeah. pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that he's just an incredible musician. Absolutely incredible. Was he? i'm kidding (laughs) oh dear so uh yeah with that being said we're looking forward to robert johnson next week yes we We uh would appreciate if you could do our haiku notre damas review for our uh any of our platforms whether it's apple or spotify amazon anywhere through there just do us a favor, email us a copy of the haiku at OTH at seriouslydecent.com. Yes. And we will read it on the next episode yes. that we're recording. Yes. You and can be immortalized, yeah. guys. We'll we'll pitch this as a call to action two more times. Yes. And if you don't do it, we're going to move on. Yeah. So it's simple. We'll be like, fine. We got plenty of other things to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Be that way. Yeah. So rule number one. No Ouija boards. Number two. No dolls. Three. No capes. Four. No blood rituals. Five. No cults, satanic or otherwise. Six. No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in this world. It is possible. It is. You can do it. Number seven. Don't let the black-eyed children in. Don't do it. Or better yet, don't give them whatever it is they're after. No. And last but not least. Just listen. Just listen, folks. Thanks for listening. And we can't wait to have you tune in to Robert Johnson. I'm telling you guys, <laughs> it's gonna be worth it. You're gonna you're 
going to be shocked, amazed, yeah, awed. Well, it's also just to get appreciation for, you know. I love the blues. Yeah, no, it, if you're a fan of the blues and you never heard of Robert Johnson, then check you it out. Cause it's, owe it to yourself. It's the birth. It's yes. the birth of the blues for the most part. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, have a magnificent day, oh. a lovely week. And make good choices. Take care.